0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack.
1: Everyone, you're listening to After Hours. I'm Young Me.
2: I'm Felix, and I'm me here.
1: And it's the holiday season. Are you guys ready? Yeah.
2: So
3: ready. <laughs> I am so unequivocally not ready. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? I'm just not ready. I feel like I'm so behind, but I'm getting there.
2: Oh, I think I'm emotionally ready. We got this gift the other day. Did you see? Like just half an inch of snow, making everything beautiful and white. Mm. What better thing before the holidays?
1: I agree with you, Felix. I am spiritually and emotionally ready. I'm not ready and. Any other way. (laughs) (laughs) Who cares? I completely agree. And you know, one of the things is when your kids get older, it's really just about being together. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. less preparation, so to speak, and there's more just anticipation, I think. I also think at these
3: moments of pre-holiday craziness, it's always useful to remember that time passes. And (laughs) even if you're not ready for it, it'll come and it'll all just be fine. It'll all just be fine. Exactly.
1: So we have two more episodes. This one and one more before we're going to go off on holiday break and then be back in January. Mm. But these last two episodes, these are two of my favorite episodes of the year. Mm. So the one we're doing tonight is our end of year awards. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to do a business person of the year, the story of the year. Buzzword of the year. Trends. It's going to be really fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all dressed up in tuxedos and evening
1: gowns. (laughs) (laughs) And next week is also a fun one because that's the week we do predictions for 2022. Oh,
3: yeah. But for
1: tonight, we'll do our awards. So you guys ready?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Okay. Person of the year business related i'm assuming right yeah
3: i think it has to be so yeah me
1: here who did you pick
2: so i have a duo as usual he can never <laughs> <laughs> recommendations coming
3: to i'm a rule breaker you know
1: it was an easy assignment very straightforward but okay
3: <laughs> okay all right all right well let's just try it out <laughs> so my duo of the year is chris james and charlie penner I know that was met with a resounding silence. <laughs> so who, you ask, are Chris James and Charlie Penner? And the answer is they were the moving forces behind engine number one.
1: Oh, oh yes. the little hedge fund that could.
3: So this little hedge fund with something like $250 million in assets stormed the ramparts and won a major board vote at ExxonMobil, one of the largest companies in the world and certainly one of the largest fossil fuel companies in the world. Hmm. Why is this fantastic and interesting. To me, I think it really capitalizes what's been going on in this moment, which is they took all this energy around corporate social responsibility and ESG, which I find sometimes kind of frustrating and a little bit vague, and they went straight to the board of ExxonMobil And they used hard business logic, not some like, oh, what's your purpose kind of stuff, but like hardcore business logic for like capital allocation and the risks that they were making their shareholders bear. And they are fomenting real change at a high level. So for me, it was this wonderful crystallization of an effort to kind of really make business behave better, but in a way that made sense, not in some gauzy CSR way. And I think this kind of activism is super interesting by marrying traditional techniques, traditional logics with really pressing issues. And I think they deserve a lot more attention and credit than they've been getting. And I'm looking forward to the next leg of what they do.
1: So what I found so amazing about that story is if you know how companies tend to operate around the time of a shareholder meeting. right? When you get wind that this kind of activity is taking place One of the things that happens is that the company mobilizes and they pick up the phone and they begin to call their largest investors because they want to make sure they have the votes on their side that a smaller activist like this can't hijack the proceedings and what's astonishing to me is that, to your point, here, there was something about the argument itself right. that actually resonated with the larger investor base and put the company in a position where it had to cede its position, which is really, really unusual.
2: And at the same time, I love the fact that, in the end, it's about profitability of the company and profitability of its assets. And, of course, in most cases, companies, then it leads to a diversification strategy where you diversify into renewables the way BP and Shell and many others have done. What I find so interesting to think about, and I'm just not super sure, are the current leaders really the right companies to own renewable assets? If so, of course, what they're doing is exactly right. It's the future. It's very promising. But maybe if someone else can do renewables better... Then I'm a little less sure, because we might get a de-risking of ExxonMobil, but at the same time, we might get a lot of the most promising assets in the wrong hands.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And first, on Young Youngmi's point, you know, ExxonMobil tried to fight back, and they spent like a lot of money on a proxy yes, fight, yeah. and they lost. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and yeah. so it does say something about the compelling logic. And then, Felix, you're absolutely right. The next leg of this battle is this kind of capital allocation question, which is why are we the right people to redeploy them within renewables? So everybody wants to become an energy company instead of an oil company, right? But That is not at all clear. So the next step is that one, Mm -hmm, which is okay. mm -hmm. You know, we've gotten you to stop a lot of things that were maybe problematic, but the real next question becomes who and why should be like recycling all this cash? Mm -hmm. And why do you Mm -hmm. have an entitlement to it? So Mm -hmm. it's going to be really fun to watch, but that's my person of the year. that's a good one. All right, young me, what about you?
1: Okay, so my business person of the year, and this one, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's Elon Musk. Because in a year of relentless polarization, he embodies so many of the contradictions inherent in our business culture. So he has single-handedly pushed an entire industry to be more aggressive about electric vehicles. He's launching rockets into space so regularly now, it's not even news when he does it. He's a marketing genius. He's a visionary, but he is also an internet troll. He is dangerously reckless with his words, which can have By the way, real economic consequences for people. He can be cavalier about regulation. His promises often turn out to be bluster. On the other hand, if you drive a Tesla, it is impossible not to fall in love with the vehicle itself because it's awesome. I mean, I could go on and on. He can be hilarious and even insightful and incisive at times while also being astonishingly irresponsible at other times. And, oh, by the way, he's also the richest person in the world with a net worth of roughly $300 billion. And if SpaceX were to go public, one of my predictions is that it could end up being worth more than Tesla, putting him on track to becoming, I know this sounds crazy, but the world's first trillionaire because he owns roughly half of SpaceX. So like I said, in a year of relentless polarization, he is the most polarizing business person out there. And he embodies so many of the contradictions inherent in what we see happening in the world at large, that he is my business person of the year.
3: I love this pick because in part what you're doing, young me, with a person of the year is it's got to be somebody who is a manifestation of the zeitgeist. And Elon Musk is that manifestation. And it's everything from the fact that Tesla's buying crypto, he's pushing Doge. It's like everything (laughs) that is going on in the world is in him. He is like a manifestation of everything. So I love that pick. And it also, I think, is a testament to the ingenuity and the boldness of his vision that it isn't all just bluster, right? He's this contradiction. And I love that. I think it's a great pick.
2: At the same time, it strikes me that this kind of behavior, if it wasn't for the outsized financial success, by now, I think is largely unacceptable. And for good reasons. Like the early days of the tech world, move fast and break things, I think has gotten us in all sorts of trouble. And suppose there wasn't all the money. Would we still put him on a pedestal? Mm, Maybe not.
1: Yeah, and I think it says something too about the complicated relationship we have with wealth Mm -hmm. and wealth generation. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think... We want to celebrate our most impressive and successful entrepreneurs. And we love the fact that they're rebels and they're anti-establishment. But something has changed. And I agree with you, Felix because today I think our relationship toward them is much more complicated and it's possible to regard them as almost being a kind of Robert Barron in many (laughs) ways because if you think about it, they often have made their fortunes through some kind of land grab. Like 25 years ago, the internet was a land grab that Google was able to capitalize on. The early days of e-commerce was a bit of a land grab that Amazon was able to capitalize on. The early days of social media Mm -hmm. was a land grab. Facebook was able to capitalize on. Today, Mm -hmm. outers space is a land grab or a space grab that Elon Musk is capitalizing on. And this is not to say that these founders and these companies don't deserve credit. They absolutely do because many others tried and fail. But Mm -hmm. I think we recognize it also as being a confluence of timing, opportunity, the immaturity of the market at a particular point in time that enabled it to happen. And as a result, we sort of look at them and say, okay, yeah, they're fantastic, but they were also in the right place at the right time and does it really give them license to be so reckless about regulation and so cavalier about the rules of the game. And I think that it just creates a huge amount of ambivalence. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when they're charismatic, it makes it all the more complicated. Yeah. When they're funny, when they are really good at memes, (laughs) then it makes it really complicated. Yeah.
2: And also now of course we see every one of their moves on social media, right? Yeah. Somehow that makes it worse as well.
1: Yeah. So Felix, what about you?
2: My person is actually not a typical business person. She's Om Ali, a famous Lebanese Baker working with the Lebanese Breast Cancer Foundation and the agency McCann Paris Mm. and they're tackling this problem that In traditional Middle Eastern society, it's taboo to discuss and display intimate body parts. And as a result, many women never learn how to check their breasts for breast cancer. And it's such a clever and wonderful idea. You see her bake two loaves of bread. And in doing so, she basically teaches you how to self-check. And it's couched in the language of baking so you never mention breasts you never mention cancer but then as it spreads and it can spread easily in social media because it doesn't violate any of the regulations because you're
1: just breaking bread
2: just baking bread and then there's this hashtag have you baked bread this month and the idea being that you need to check every month and she reaches communities there's lots and lots of copycats. There's a British version, there's a Turkish version, there's a version for Germany now, and it's become a real thing. And I admire it so much for two reasons. One is just like the absolutely fabulous idea, mm-hmm. because many of the traditional households do bake breads. So it's yeah. a very familiar activity. Yeah. And then the other thing that's so interesting is which I always like in business, you start with this idea of how do I create value and you have no idea essentially about the business impact. And then sure enough, before you know it, there's newspaper ads, there's Spinney's, a Lebanese chain of grocery stores that then puts it on packages. And so eventually there is the business angle to it, but that's not how you started out. Mm. We can link to the video on the After Hours webpage. When I first saw it, I thought it was, the best thing this year.
1: I love the yin and yang of the pick I just made and the pick you just made. <laughs> you no, know, think about it. I mean, so I come up with a pick is this celebrated, wealthy dude. And then you come up with a pick with someone who has an equal, if not more, amount of ingenuity and ambition, but directed in a completely different way and is someone whose name mm. is not a household name and yet is affecting change at a global scale. I mean, it's really quite amazing.
2: What I like about your comment, Yang Mi, is I think our two picks show business does just so many different things. You know how we sometimes have like an almost monolithic view of this is what business is like? And then once you start thinking about it, it's like, oh my God, it's like a million different things. Yeah,
3: I love that pick. I think in many ways, but primarily because you said it's such a good idea. So much time we think about where do good ideas come from? And in this case, it's like this mixing of the tradition and the modern Mm -hmm. it's like the mixing of Mm. business and public health it's that cross-fertilization and then finally it's like this very specific idea which is tailored to this conflict between the traditional and the modern in the middle east but guess what it turns out to be universal yeah which is also i think fantastic oh that's a great pick yeah i love it i love that
1: Okay, let's do story of the year. So, what did you bring in for story of the year? Felix, you go first this time.
2: So, my story of the year, SPACs. <laughs> it is just Look, unbelievable. Here just perked
1: up. Did you see that? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Just the volume of activity alone <laughs> is just totally astounding. So, in 2020, the whole year, we had 250. IPOs valued at around 80 billion. And then in the first quarter of 2021, we had 300 deals worth more than $100 billion. And one of the things that is, I think, a raging debate now is how well have the specs performed? And by one account, the post-IPO performance has just been absolutely horrible. If you go back for this year, about 70 percent of them trade below the original value. But of course, the debate online in particular is so interesting because the market is super volatile Mm -hmm. and depending on which period you pick, you can actually make it look quite okay or you can make it even worse than the average number. But I think it continues to be highly problematic. There's some data that suggests maybe it's getting a little better over time. And then depending on the quality of the deal, you saw BuzzFeed, which is one of the latest mm-hmm. ones, had a bigger mm-hmm. issue with investors.
3: Yeah, I know. This is a great pick for a story of the year because mm-hmm. it captures so much of what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is going to actually be part of my trend piece that I'll do a little <laughs> oh, bit later. Really? Oh, okay. Okay. So yes. maybe we'll return yes. to it. But for now, I'll just <laughs> yes. say, I guess I'm a lot more skeptical about the evidence. But let me talk about it a little bit more when we do the trend stuff.
1: All right. Ooh, that's like a tease. Ooh. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. Wow, Sorry.
3: Very yeah. good. Okay. How about
2: you, Yang Mi? What's your story of the year?
1: So my business story of the year is I think 2021 was the year when the blockchain hit a tipping point. Mm-hmm. I think 2021 will be pegged as the birth year for Web3 and the birth year for terminology like NFTs and DAOs and DeFi. And so when I talk about Web3, if you think about everything that Internet is today, but now imagine all of the technologies based on the blockchain, what you end up with is an Internet of the future where everything is decentralized. You have user-owned apps, websites, businesses, communities, groups, and so on. And some of what you hear people talking about when it comes to Web3 today really strains credulity, honestly. (laughs) But it's not all hogwash either. Some of the use cases are actually quite fascinating. But 2021, in short, was a year when all of this kind of hit a tipping point. And because you've seen the mainstreamification of a lot of these ideas, you now have legacy institutions, governments, central banks, businesses, founders, all beginning to take for granted the fact that Web3 in some form or another is here to stay. And so that's my story of the year.
2: One thing that I find so fascinating about this is that I had a conversation with someone not too long ago about raising beef, where apparently the cattle is sold multiple times, but the first farmer who raises the very young cows has a disproportionate impact on the quality of the beef, except you will not know for the next two years. (laughs) So there's not really an incentive to do the right thing early on because how do you cash in? You have higher costs, but the quality is unknown. How do you solve that problem? Well, blockchain and a smart contract that allows you to participate in the upside, even though it's realized much later. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden you see creativity and ingenuity come up in so many places, even though the basic idea has been around for quite some time, Mm. which I find so interesting. Yeah, Yeah.
3: Yeah. and I think the other neat thing about this pick is there's like a buzzy piece of this, and then there's like Mm -hmm, the real mm -hmm, piece of this. mm -hmm. So, you know, I think what's becoming more and more clear is there's wheat here and there's chaff here. And so like the buzzy stuff gets a lot of attention. Yeah, But the wheat is like also really big and happening, (laughs) you know? So in a way, Mm -hmm, it's how do you mm -hmm. take transactions like buying a ticket from Ticketmaster and get the fees down from 30 bucks a ticket to two bucks a ticket, because Mm -hmm. you get authentication happening in multiple different ways. That is interesting. Mm -hmm, And all mm -hmm. those use cases, I think are where we're really starting to see what's interesting. So I love this pick, because there's like a hugely buzzy piece to it, which is actually what people tend to pay attention to. But then there's this real hardcore, infrastructure-y, nitty-gritty piece to it, which is super exciting. That's a great pick. I love that.
1: And I think the debate about whether this is all hype or substance kind of centers around two loose questions. And the first question is, can all of these blockchain-based technologies really do anything that currently existing technology can't do? And if they can do some new things, Do they, in the process, create more problems and solutions? So, for example, you can think of DeFi, decentralized finance, as being really great in some ways and creating a real nightmare in some other ways. Mm. But the second question is, will it really create a democratization effect? In other words, one of the early promises of the Internet as we know it today Was that it was going to be democratizing, make it difficult for any single entity to accumulate a lot of power. But in fact, the opposite sort of happened where you have a few large companies with an outsized amount of power. Mm -hmm. And now you have blockchain enthusiasts making the same predictions about Web3. They're saying blockchain will lead to decentralization and therefore a democratization effect. But it's also possible that blockchain native companies and organizations will simply accumulate a lot of power. Meanwhile, at the consumer level, I think what you're going to see is a big consumer divide opening up between people who are fluent in the world of blockchain and people who are not. And there's going to be a lot of value creation, perhaps a lot of wealth creation, and then there are going to be a lot of folks who are simply spectators to the whole thing, kind of like people who still haven't figured out had a text on their phone. for example. let so me hear, what's your story of the year?
3: Yeah, from SPACs to blockchain, I'm just gonna take the low-hanging fruit here, which I'm not above doing, <laughs> which is, to me, unequivocally, it's the story of vaccines. And it is just this remarkable achievement that we have gone through in the last 12 months, mm-hmm. which is to administer something like 8.4 billion doses of a remarkable new technology at a massive scale globally, to get 55% of the world's population at least one dose. And to have this remarkable technology of messenger RNA come to fruition in this way at this time is absolutely spectacular. And I think in many ways, we've lost the thread on what a remarkable discovery it is, Mm. what a remarkable technological breakthrough it was. And I think, that thread is really in some ways been lost. And I think when we look back, we're gonna realize that the onslaught of mRNA technologies in combination with other things going on in life sciences like gene editing, I think 2021 was just a singular year for those advances to come to fruition. Mm. And then the final thing I like about this story is, there is often a tension that people articulate between, well, what we need to do economically and what we need to do from a public health perspective. And I hope we can put that to bed in a way because we flourish when we're safe. And public health is a prerequisite for economic growth and activity. Mm. I hope we don't lose the threat on it and we don't forget where we were 12 months ago, mm-hmm. where we were 24 mm-hmm. months ago with these technologies, mm-hmm. and just stop and appreciate what it is that these partnerships have kind of created for us. So that's my pick for the story of the year. I went for the obvious one.
1: In some ways, I think it's telling that it almost feels like an afterthought to talk about. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where we went from not being sure whether or not we could produce a vaccine to, oh my gosh, we have a vaccine, to completely taking it for granted. Yeah. And exactly. now it's an afterthought. And we went through that cycle so quickly, and yet it has been transformative, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And
2: even some of the tensions that we have from the whole debate, what if we could have vaccinated everyone at amazing speed. Right. Of course, that's a particularly interesting question on the backdrop that you have a vaccine which is 90% effective. Yeah. Most yeah. vaccines are not <laughs> Unbelievable. nearly as effective. And then the conversation around how much of a difference would it make if you do it a little more faster or a little slower are very different conversations. But it's only in the context of having something that could literally eradicate the disease tomorrow because it's so incredibly effective. And it's one of these interesting instances where advances in a product then creates value in a type of infrastructure that we haven't really thought about much. One is just the medical infrastructure, you know, how quickly can you serve how many people, Right, but mm-hmm. also the political right. social infrastructure. Yeah, Like how quickly can we agree on things being safe? That used to just not be that big a deal, and now all of a sudden, because of that medical advance, it turns out to be a really big question. And countries and the planet Earth (laughs) will be much better off if we had a little more of that infrastructure. But it's a new demand, and it takes time to build it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it also really underscores all of the divides, right? So there's this huge divide between countries where the vaccines are plentiful and countries where the vaccines continue to be scarce. And then in the countries where vaccines are plentiful, there's a huge divide between people Mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. want to take the vaccines and people who refuse to. Mm -hmm.
3: Well, I think that's the sense in which I love this as a story of the year, because it is, I think, uplifting and wonderful to think about what we as the human race have accomplished (laughs) in creating this moment. And then at the same time, it becomes a prism for seeing all our foibles like Mm. all the problems that we have in that process but i hope we don't lose the thread on the singular accomplishment yeah so yeah Yeah. that's my story
1: fantastic okay let's come back with our trend of the year
3: good great sounds good
1: It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. Trend of the year. Mihir, you mentioned that yours is related to Felix's story of the year around specs. So let's pick up that conversation because I feel like we really weren't quite able to get into it. Yeah. So
3: look, I mean, my trend of the year is very much related, Felix, to your story. And it's this broader craziness associated with the rise of retail investors. Oh, And I think SPACs Mm, is one manifestation of it, Mm. but the IPO market broadly is a manifestation of it. Cryptocurrencies are a manifestation of it. Meme stocks are a manifestation of it. And the thing I wanted to highlight about it is, and maybe make this a little bit of a prediction in a way, I think now we know that it was a trend, And I think we are seeing kind of the fallout of all that. And I think in a way, it's oddly good. So just as one example, what do the following have in common? Most SPACs, Zoom stock, Peloton stock, Teladoc stock, Doge currencies, they're all down 60 to 80% from their highs. Mm -hmm. If you look at monthly active users on Robinhood, they're sequentially down quarter on quarter. If you look at assets under management at Robinhood or these places, they're sequentially down quarter to quarter. So... I think in a way, this moment, which really captured all of our attention, and I confess to being historically over the last year, and I've voiced this many times on the podcast, deeply worried about and concerned about, I feel like it's bursting. And hopefully what is left is people who want to invest and want to think about companies and think about their financial future. And I hope what's gone is the kind of feverish intensity that surrounded so much of this activity So my trend of the year is the retail gamification of financial markets. And maybe that nice part, which is I think it's kind of done.
1: So Mihir, I don't want to burst your bubble, Mm -hmm. but I'm not convinced it's done. And I think a lot of people got a taste. And I think they're getting a taste of what volatility feels like. And so I think you might be sensing some shyness. But I don't think it's done.
2: So I think I agree with you, Young Me. I think what's driving it is some sort of a casino mentality mm-hmm. one place where I see it is there is huge uptake in membership in investment clubs mm-hmm. and at first blush you would think oh that's actually really great news because you know then you learn a thing or two and maybe you know how to protect yourself better and so on and, so on. and then you look which kinds of investment clubs and it's basically all cryptocurrencies so I think it moves from one asset class to another asset class in search for you know, huge returns, not really thinking about risks. And the most worrisome part is that, in particular on social media, you tend to see the winners so much more than people who lose out. And that feeds the next generation that then thinks, oh my God, putting some money and then I get these astronomical returns. And no one really talks about all the people who say invested in a spec and SPACs are down 70% on average. Yeah, so we'll have to see. Yeah. But it should be a fun one to watch. Yeah, it'll yeah, be it a fun, be fun one to try. Yeah.
1: Felix, what's your trend of the year? My
2: trend of the year is just along with hybrid work, we now see the trend towards hybrid living. And of course, the big story was everybody moves to Austin, Texas, away <laughs> yeah. from the big cities. Yeah. Now yeah. what seems to be happening is all of a sudden I remember, oh, there was a reason why I lived in the city in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> there were actually things that I really miss now. And so it's two really interesting things. One is the demand for second homes has just grown dramatically. Mm-hmm. Now in some markets, it's like 50%, 100% up. Yeah. And then you see this really interesting mix, which I find totally fascinating. So many places in the big city are now listed as pied-a-terres. And ah, the idea is you have your home out yeah, in the countryside, yeah. and right. then you have a small place in the city, and maybe you work in the city, and then you enjoy everything the city has to offer. And then you see the opposite, where you have the tiny home movement and the very modest pieces yes. out maybe an hour or two hours away from the city, where the idea is you mostly live in the city and then maybe the weekends you spend outside. And that is both interesting and a little concerning because we're short of homes to begin with. We're building a million homes a year. We're short three and a half as it is.
1: Unless you do home sharing, right? Unless you can find somebody. <laughs> yes,
2: so this is pretty funny. There's a little consulting industry now around <laughs> how do you make that type of living possible and right. actually enjoyable and one of the most common pieces of advice is that you need to have everything in both places because yeah. if yeah. you go back and forth and you have to worry about do I have underwear in the other place that's yeah. not going to work <laughs> and so that then discourages I think people from ah, out these places because they really will feel I like see. homes in both places. Yeah,
1: I love this one because I do feel like everybody I know has reevaluated everything about how they're living and this is part of it and it's related to the trend I brought in. So the trend I brought in is, you know, we talked a lot this year about labor shortages and people quitting their jobs, everything that's being pegged as the great resignation. I like to think of it more as not the great resignation, but the great reassessment. Mm. One reason for that is it's not quite clear yet if this really is a great resignation. In fact, I think what's happening is a lot more complicated. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of quitting happening, but there's also a lot of job hopping. There's a lot of movement to freelance work. There's a lot of early retirement happening. And there are a lot of people simply taking time off to figure out what they want to do next. So it's a pretty multifaceted dynamic. But I do think the ripple effects of this are going to be significant. Because it's creating a big rethink. And part of that rethink is exactly what you said, Felix. Do I want to move to Austin? Or actually, (laughs) do I want to stay in New York City? And how do I want to organize my life? And I think everybody is rethinking how they want to spend their time how they want to integrate work and life. I think every company out there is rethinking how they manage their people. Mm -hmm. And in general, I think all of this, despite the tumult it creates, I think it's kind of a healthy thing. It's a really good thing when we stop taking our daily routines for granted. And we reevaluate them. It's a really good thing when companies stop taking their people for granted and reevaluate how they're treating their people. Mm.
3: I think you're right. They're deeply connected. Yeah. So, the reassessment that you're talking about, young me, one manifestation is living, but it's such a widespread thing. And this is, again, in a way, like an odd silver lining of this horrible thing we've been through in the last two years, which is it's a complete shock to the system. Yeah. And it makes you wake up and ask questions that we should be asking all the time. Like, am I living my life in the right way? <laughs> am I associating myself with work? I'm proud of? The Mm -hmm. most basic questions. And I think that is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great call as the trend of the year,
2: both of you. Another risk that I sometimes think about is, what if we end up in a place that is not so different from where we started? What if it ends up that the jobs are where the jobs are and most employers will require some presence? And now I feel like I'm back in the old routine that now feels even worse than before.
1: Yeah, I don't really know. Well, so there are two alternative futures ahead of us. One future we're doing exactly the same thing we were doing before and the other future is we have (laughs) houses in three different locations and we're trading (laughs) crypto on a regular (laughs) basis and we'll all just be meeting on the metaverse hanging out. (laughs) Okay, wait. So this brings us to our last category, which is your overused buzzword of the year that Frankly, if you never heard again, you would be so fine with, can I go first? Sure. So this happened really in the early months of the year. I had a friend who said to me, I am so tired of hearing people use the word unprecedented mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. she started playing a drinking game by herself at night. She'd turn <laughs> on the television and listen to analysts talk, and anytime anyone used the word unprecedented, she would take a drink. Remember when we would only use that word sporadically? And now everything is unprecedented. <laughs> so that's mine.
2: The word that I would be so happy if I never heard it again, is flywheel.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Everything is a flywheel now. And it's so annoying.
1: Oh, I'm guilty yeah. of that. Okay. I'll I've stop. used that too. Okay. I think
2: okay. originally it was more of an organizational idea. Yeah. You know, you sort of get what we would, I think, describe more as momentum. How do you mm-hmm. get things going? Yes. And now it's used to describe ecosystems, it's used it's to describe so complements, <laughs> it's used to describe okay. network effects. And there's two irritating things. You lose a lot of the analytically really important distinctions that actually tell you something about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to build. And then the other thing that drives me nuts is just think about a real flywheel. The idea is that it takes less and less energy to keep it moving at a particular speed. Or using it in exactly the opposite way in that the same energy will make the flywheel spin faster and faster and faster. And... That's not what the analogy <laughs> is about in the first place.
1: Here, I'm going to use it more and more often just to drive. Just him to drive crazy. him crazy. We yeah. should use it all the time. Be yes, here. In yeah. fact, I think this podcast is a flywheel. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like
3: that exactly. <laughs> oh, when you say something, it God. feeds into what I say. It's <laughs> yes. just like a flywheel. Yeah, it's it's exactly. kind of
1: unprecedented in that <laughs> totally, <language. laughs> <Yes>. totally. <laughs> Me here. what's yours?
3: Well, it'll surprise no one. And young me, you just used it very briefly, which is, I got to say the buzzword of the year has got to be metaverse. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And metaverse. I can't stand yes. it, not because it's not true or real, but it's just gotten hyped and has become such an elastic idea. It kind of reminds me of terms like behavioral economics or artificial intelligence and machine learning. There's something really good there. And then it becomes a term that encompasses everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like now traditional, like you respond to incentives. People are like behavioral economics. Like, you know, (laughs) you do something. You like work (laughs) on a spreadsheet and everyone's like, it's like artificial intelligence. Or alternatively in the metaverse, I think it's going to become such an elastic idea. Like we're going to be on a Zoom call and we're going to be like, isn't the metaverse great? No, but you know, there's something
1: so corny about it that there is a chance it goes to the same place that the term information superhighway went yeah remember in the early days of the internet and it was so hokey that we all just put it away in a closet to never exactly so there is a chance that the term metaverse gets put in that same closet I mean we don't know we'll see
3: we shall see okay
1: so we are going to come back with recommendations in a second that was fun guys great Okay, picks. Felix, what'd you bring in?
2: I brought in a movie that I saw that I really loved. It's called Sunday's Illness by Ramon Salazar, a Spanish movie. The story itself is a touching story, and it's probably not for you if you don't like dramatic endings, but... It is shot so beautifully. Mm. The images that the camera holds still on a particular image for an extended period of time. And then there are scenes that I think I will never forget. And it's a mother daughter story. And there's one scene where they embrace, and the camera shows them from top. And it's a really windy day. And you see the hair, once blonde, once black. You see their hair. Do this dance in the wind. Wow. That is just like the perfect capture of what's going on emotionally and where they are in their relationship. And there's like half a dozen of these scenes that. I can frankly not imagine that I will ever forget. The story wow, itself is okay, but the visuals are just, oh my God, like what a talent.
3: Wow. That's great.
2: Can you say the name again, Felix? It's Sunday's Illness. Fantastic. That
3: sounds great. Felix,
1: I have to say the way you described it, it created a real image in my head. So now I really feel compelled to <laughs> check it out. So that was a yeah. nice plug. Um, Mihir, what did you bring in?
3: Well, so my recommendation relates a little bit, Felix, to your Uma Ali story from the beginning. Oh, At this okay. time of year it's useful to think about where ideas come from and how are we creative. And that idea is so spectacular, right? And you wonder about where it comes from. And Mm -hmm, my mm -hmm. recommendations are associated with two sources for thinking about creativity this year. And they're both based in music. So the first is, I am not a Beatles guy. I've never been a Beatles guy. Uh I was like the annoying guy who was like, the Rolling Stones are way better than the Beatles. But the Get Back documentary by Peter Jackson, Mm. if you wanna think about the creative process and what makes it work, it is such a beautiful testament to that creative process. Uh It shows these four people in this very confined space trying to come up with something new. And if you've seen the clip of Paul McCartney strumming on his guitar, getting the chord of Get Back, you see an idea being born. Yeah, yeah. And so rarely in life do you see an idea being born. And it's like, To watch the interplay between structure and innovation, to see the interplay between collaboration and kind of going off on your own, it's just fantastic. And the other related musical suggestion about creativity is Stephen Sondheim died. And I'm not a musical guy, but it is great to look at some of his work at this time. Yeah, I don't go to a lot of musicals, but I happen to see in three of his. And in particular... Sunday in the Park with George, has that same emphasis on creativity. Mm -hmm. And the recommendation I have is there's a book by James Lapine, who wrote the lyrics for that musical, called Putting It Together. So if you want to spend some time thinking about the Beatles and Stephen Sondheim, they will
2: fuel your creativity for the year. There's a really beautiful short YouTube video of artists. Once he passed away, artists came together on Times Square and they sang a song out of Sunday in the Park. Oh, is that right? I mean, in part, it's just a nice song, but you can also just looking at the faces of the artists... You can just see how much it means to them. And in fact, because it's about the creative process, right? Like finishing yeah, a hat is yeah. one of those songs. Yes, exactly. And it's about yeah. what it means to come
3: up with an idea yeah. and how to like dedicate yourself to it. It's pretty neat. And that's the same thing Paul McCartney's doing. Mm-hmm. He's like giving birth to an idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. For some reason, both of those moments really caught
1: me. So Mihir, with respect to the Beatles documentary, I do have to ask you, It's really long. And I agree with you. There are these moments that you kind of can't believe you're witnessing. Exactly. But it is really long. It's eight hours. Yeah. And so my question for you is, and this is a serious question, is it cheating to just skip to watch these moments?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know the answer, but I will tell you that I approached it with like, I ain't doing eight hours of The Beatles. Because I don't even like The Beatles that much. yeah. But I was just drawn in. It's also visually beautiful because it's all this touched up. Old yeah. stuff that Peter Jackson does. So I don't know. For me, it just caught me. Maybe it was just the right time, yeah. but it got me hook, line, and sinker. Interesting. What do you got, Young Me?
1: Okay. So because this is our award show, I decided instead of a particular recommendation, I was going to offer up my top five streaming oh experiences my God. this what? year. Top five? Illegal <laughs> <Yeah>. maneuver. And <laughs> I'm just going to list them. And I've actually <laughs> recommended some of them, I think, already. So some of them are repeats. But it was oh. kind of fun to just come up with a list, yeah. And so here's my list, and I'd be so curious as to whether you think it's a good one or not. Let's do it in no particular order. And by the way, I'm not even sure when these were released, but this is the year I watched them. So, *Maverick's Town* is one. Mm-hmm. The Queen's Gambit, *The White Lotus*, yeah, *Hacks*, and then *Succession*, which, Mihir, you and I have texted back and forth on <laughs> throughout the fall. I almost gave up on, because at a point, I just couldn't watch it anymore. Yeah. And then it came on so strong at the end. And I have not seen the finale yet, but I've seen the penultimate episode. And that episode was so epic. But those are my five. What do you think? Hmm. What did I miss? What would you have put on there? Can
3: I just remember I got them all? So Marriott- it's of
1: The Queen's Gambit. Yeah. White Lotus.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got
3: it.
1: Hacks. And succession. and succession. I mean, yeah.
2: my favorite on your list, yeah. Queen's Gambit. Yeah, that. I was thought it was so good. Amazing. And it's not easy to make a good chess movie. Oh, I The know. other thing that I loved is it really conveyed some things about the game and how you learn and how you play. It. Yes. You know how some television shows they take place in the law office, but you learn nothing about the law. And here, I thought that was really nice. How you actually learned about the game itself, yeah. Yet. You didn't have to be completely dedicated to chess to really like it. Yes, I love that as well.
3: So this is very good news for me because Queen's Gambit is the one I have not seen. Oh, oh so I am excited okay. You're in
1: for
2: a
3: treat. But the
1: other four are good, right? Oh,
3: they're great hacks. I didn't get into totally, okay. but I can see why people liked yeah. it a lot. Yeah. But I think White Lotus for me and Succession stands above oh, everything really? else. Okay. The only one I can think of that was maybe worth adding because I think you got it exactly right. Young Me is. It's not obviously as highbrow or as interesting as the ones you said, which is, you know that Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman undoing thing?
1: Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't watch I that. I have
3: not seen that. That was actually pretty good. Wow. It's more okay. like popcorn. You know what I mean? It's not like that serious. It's oh. like a little suspense-y kind of a thing. Okay. But I love the list. And Succession is roaring back at the end of the season. Oh,
1: my goodness gracious. So don't roaring tell me back. what happens at the end because I haven't no, seen we don't. in uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's it for this episode. We have one more to go. You can join us next week where we will offer our predictions for 2022. But that's it for tonight. So thanks, everyone, for listening. This is After Hours from the TED Audio Collective.